did you know that MIT's Human Dynamics Center found that conversations outside of formal meetings are the most important factor that contributes to team success? That's why we built WorkTrip to supercharge team culture and exceptional performance through off-site and back-at-desk working design. If you're looking to take your team on an off-site this year, make it count. Help re-inject the social learning, new ideas and adventure back into the world of work. Go to worktrip.com and check out our team-specific listings including venues, experiences, executive coaches, facilitators and speakers. Our vision is to help all teams from high-growth startups to well-established corporates to get together, enjoy work and be productive. We scale those aha moments which unlock great things. Hello dear listeners and welcome back to another episode of the EdTech podcast. In this new series we are looking at all things future of work and how that intersects with learning, leadership, humans and technology. As someone who has benefited from working remotely for nearly seven years I hugely enjoyed this chat with superstars Alex and Lizzie from Hoxby and authors of the book Workstyle. Our whole conversation centred around the importance of autonomy in doing our best work and living our most fulfilled lives. This was spectacularly validated in a mind-blowing moment for me recently when I walked back from the school run in our small 2,000-person village and was introduced to someone who had recently moved here from San Francisco and who works for Meta, all from our anonymous West Devon location. A quick shout out to WorkTrip for sponsoring this episode. As many of you dear listeners may know, WorkTrip is my new business venture and I'd be so happy if you fancy checking us out at worktrip2ps.com and any sign-ups and feedback would be amazing. We're just getting started. Finally, Lizzie, Alex and I ran out of time but my follow-up question to them was whether they could envision a world where everyone works independently and no one is employed by companies. Lizzie was kind enough to send me this reply by email. The question below is another cracker. The answer is yes. We believe the future of work is about communities, not companies, and those communities will be made up of freelancers rather than employees – Controversial perhaps and agreed that there probably wasn't time to get into that at the end of the podcast. Next time. So I'm already looking forward to that next time and this is a really personal episode so huge thank you to Lizzie and Alex and do go and check out their awesome and fun book with loads of practical nudges to help you shift towards a world of work you can get on board with. Here we go. So, I am really excited to chat to the authors of Workstyle and the founders of Hoxby. So, I've got here uh, Lizzie Penny and Alex Hur. So, welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Hello, thanks for having us, Sophie. So, as a quick intro, um, these two have gone all in on what it is to be human and navigate life and work and everything in between 
ranging from mid-20s ambition, burnout, birth complications, cancer and parenthood. They've consolidated their learnings on sustainable working into a book, Workstyle, which has been endorsed from everyone from Linda Gratton and Dame Stephanie Steve Shirley. And I'm so excited to speak to them today on their thoughts on how the changing nature of work is influencing what skills we need to thrive and how we continue to keep learning and growing and enjoying ourselves into our adult working lives. Uh, so first up, um, everyone talks about the accelerative role, if that's a word, or the role of the pandemic in, in accelerating change. But what I really found very interesting in the, in the sort of setup of your book is your idea around 2014 being sort of this golden year for the future of work or, or whatever we might want to term that, but a real pivot point and changing point for how we work. So for our listeners, can you share a little bit about what are some of those things that happened in 2014 that change everything? Yes. Yeah, so we talk about 2014 as a magical year in the book. Um, and we think it's interesting now because, as you say, everyone says, um, oh, well, pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. And we're always saying we've been doing this for eight years. We were doing it for a long time pre-pandemic and we could work that way. I think society and attitudes just hadn't caught up. So in 2014, there were basically three big changes afoot that meant that we had an opportunity for the first time, really, to fundamentally change the way that we all work. So those were technology, ageing and independence. So the first is technology, and it's much discussed about the portability of hardware or the prevalence of Wi-Fi. But the thing that really changed in 2014 is something that sounds quite small, but for the first time, Mobile Network 3 allowed us to tether to our mobile phones as a personal hotspot. And that really changed things because we saw the opportunity to stop thinking of work as a place that you go and start thinking of it as a thing that you do whenever and wherever we could find space for our laptops. So that really changed things because suddenly you could literally work from anywhere that you had mobile phone reception. Um, and I know, Sophie, you live in rural Devon, so it may not be everywhere, but uh, the principle is that now... Hey, hey we've, we've got a lot of funding down here for that kind of that kind of jazz, so yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so then the second big thing was just rising awareness of a changing demographic and specifically an aging population and you talked about Linda Gratton there but um and she's written widely on this but uh, a fact for you 21% of the worldwide population will be over 60 by 2050 um and i think that includes all three of us if that's not too offensive <laughs> perhaps um so as our life expectancy increases and where a nation state can't fund pensions and social care and where families and communities can't give the support they need, older people will simply need to continue working longer in order to remain financially independent. So really that creates a need to fund fundamentally reshape how we work because without this, simply businesses simply won't have enough workers to meet their needs. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing um, that was really happening in 2014 was changing attitudes to work and specifically more independence to choose how you earn a living. So lots of people were trading the idea of a job for life for self-employment or a portfolio career. Um, and there are around 4 million self-employed people in the UK and the freelance workforce is the fastest growing labour market in Europe. So this is a really changing area and yet freelancers aren't often 
considered as a group. Mm. So I think that means that this is something that's kind of covertly been changing and people haven't necessarily noticed it. But that brought more independence in attitudes to work and a newfound responsibility for self-management. So for us, it was the coming together of those things that created the conditions for work style and be able to work in a truly autonomous way. Well, one thing I absolutely loved about the book and um you know, um, we were talking about this, Alex, before we hit record, but was just that your personalities really shine through in it. And and actually, when I was reading it, so much of what you both said in your own stories, but also um, in the kind of case studies that you cover in there really connected with me. Um, so I kind of quit my job in um, 2016. I, I like to say I was sort of an early adopter of the great resignation. You know, I was, I was doing the commute. I was getting pulled into meetings. I didn't feel like I needed to be in. So I quit and set up the podcast, actually. Um, and shortly afterwards, um, had quite a sort of um, major life event. So I lost lost a baby. And, um, and actually, I think lots of people talk about that kind of thing, that, you know, it when you have these life-changing events, if you work in a work style way, so which we can come on to what that means, but that you you are in control of how you meet those moments. And I know that you've both had very significant moments yourself. And then the other factor, so Alex, I know you spoke about not having to live in these um, in these areas because that is where the density of work is or where you're expected to work. Um, and then being able to try try out, you know, how I want to work, who I want to work for. So um yeah I just I just really connected with those sort of um opportunities that come up through this uh shift in the way that we work as well. I'm so sorry to hear that Sophie. I mean I think the thing that Alex and I have realized in the process of writing this book and and in starting Hoxby and in working in a work style way is that people endure hardship in many different ways in their lives. And, you know, work style is about the freedom to choose when and where you work. Um, it's about well-being, productivity and society. That's what we talk about a lot is, is the macro, the theory, the principles. But I think for us and for many, many other people, this is about day-to-day -day life. This is about, you know, big changes that only impact us as individuals. And it's about small things that mean a lot to us. And so I think the thing that we wanted to do with the work style stories in the book was show that working in a work style way can be utterly transformative for individual lives. And we didn't want that to just be that it's been transformative for Alex and I, which it has, but show that for many people, this really has changed their lives being able to work this way and remain happy and fulfilled in spite of life's inevitable ups and downs. And for people listening, there's many terms that kind of circulate and one of those is flexible working. Um, can you explain what work style is and what it's not as well? I think the first thing to say is that in, you know, in response to all those things that you've just talked about, um, historically we've had to live our lives around our work commitments and our work commitments kind of limit our ability to deal with those fluctuations in our 
circumstances because we have this rigid Monday to Friday, nine to five block of our lives that's immovable. And actually what we're trying to create with work style is, is uh, the opposite of that, which is work that fits around life on the basis that every life is different and every life changes as well. And what those conditions in 2014 enabled finally in light of the fact that much of the work that we do can now be done from anywhere and at any time, finally, we have this opportunity to say, well, hang on a minute. Life doesn't have to fit around work anymore. You know, I don't have to um, think about my work as a 40 hour block of time that has to be done between the hours of nine and five Monday to Friday. Actually, I would be way more productive, way happier and do much, much better work, more fulfilling work, if I could just do it to my own schedule with autonomy. And when we talk about work style, what we're talking about is autonomy. And there has been uh, a lot of research done to prove uh, that autonomy is better for work-life balance. Uh, It's better for productivity, for engagement, for staff retention, for reducing stress, attrition. Um, And lots of uh, theory has been put out there to suggest that autonomy is better for for everyone, for for people, for, for businesses and for society. But there was very little in the way of actual evidence of having done it. Very few organisations that could actually say, yes, we've enabled everyone to decide for themselves when and where they work. We give everyone complete autonomy. So that's why we started Hoxby, which is the company that we founded in 2015, which was to prove that you can have a business wherein everyone has that level of autonomy. Um, An idea is nothing without a working prototype, as my product design lecturer always used to say. (laughs) I feel like that needs to be in a geek box, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably perhaps for the next book, <laughs> if there should ever be one. Um, but, I, but I think that's, look, that's the big difference between what we're talking about with work style and any other system of work that is mandated by an employer. So mm. whether, whether an employer is saying, okay, we're going to, here's our flexible working policy or here's hybrid working, uh, or here's remote working. Anything that's mandated by the employer is not autonomy. Mm-hmm. So that's the big difference. It's about saying, actually, it's up to people to decide when and where they work for themselves. And yeah. organizations need to create the conditions for that to happen. And that's where I think technology has a huge role to play in the future of work, but also in the present, really, you know, acknowledging that mostly we operate in a digital first way now um most of our communication and collaboration is done through digital systems software so this is where the future of work is and this is how it's different to the industrial age forms of work that we've become accustomed to yeah it took me a while to get my head around at the start of the book um because i think up to now you know there've been loads of campaigns around flexible work and um i i, I mentioned to one of your colleagues so my my mother-in-law actually worked for dame 
Stephanie Shirley. She was one of those first. Um, oh, no uh, way! That's so, so cool. Yeah, so um, that is quite cool. I should remind her how cool she yeah, is. Yeah, that's incredible. What an <laughs> inspiration. Cool. Yeah, so she's actually been really good at debugging the business that I'm trying to build. She's very enthused, enthused about doing that. Um, no pressure. And, um, <laughs> and and so, yeah, how I came to understand it is, you know, anything that still tracks back and is um, compared to the nine to five is not work style because, you know, you, you're sort of celebrating then, oh, I've, I've, I've been, you know, they've let me have like 10 extra flexible minutes. But and the problem with these extra policies is, you know, you can put the policies out there. So a bit like paternal um care policies and things like that like if it's not the dominant culture in the organization it's there you've ticked the box but no one really then goes and 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 sort of picks that up and runs with it or or you know can be slightly frowned upon I think that you said let me have like that's the key part of that sentence they've let me have you know it's where is where is the balance of power and what does that do to motivation you know, it shouldn't be about, oh, can you let me go and see the school Christmas play? You know, that is one of life's defining moments, seeing your five-year-old in the random nativity play, you know, and you'll work later or harder to get to your outputs in order to make sure that you deliver. And we know, as Alex said, that autonomy is amazing, but also this is a source of competitive advantage. I think that what we're finding concerning is that as we head into what's set to be or build as the longest recession, certainly in our lifetimes, um, we're seeing more and more big organisations bringing people back into the office Mm. because they get nervous. We're seeing people say, okay, well, you've got to be in three days a week, but at least we're working in a hybrid way. When we've been through a pandemic where we've seen a real enlightenment for individuals who say, well, I'm not happy to go back into the office three days a week. Um, And so for us, we think it's really important that organisations understand that actually it is better for productivity in time in recessionary environments for people to work autonomously rather than going back to presenteeism and this kind of security for leadership to feel, Mm. you know, that they want to see people because then they know they're working, which is kind of a worrying trend to see yeah, after I was going to ask pandemic. you about that because, yeah, absolutely. We, you know, you had some of these really high-profile work-from-anywhere policies and, um, you know, that was a big fanfare at the start of the year and it very much felt like the seat of power was it with employees and, you know, it was all about retention and employee well-being to retain your best talent and, you know, roll forward 12 months it it definitely feels like uh that pendulum has swung back slightly towards the um employer calling the shots a bit more because of the economic environment and I just wondered because I know you've done some amazing um surveys and you've got this amazing vantage point with with your kind of collective and your community whether you're seeing any um data on on that swing and how much of it is sort of headlines and how much of it is a real shift I think the the thing that's a kind of strange combination or an unusual combination at the moment is that we're going into a recession, but we've got record low um, levels of people in the labour market. So we haven't seen these labour market shortages since the 70s. And as a consequence, there's this weird combination where organisations, we are seeing big organisations are reasserting 
um, control, particularly over location-specific working, um, even knowledge-based organisations where people in theory could work from anywhere. But that is coupled with record low unemployment. So labour market shortages and, you know, in the recent autumn statement, that was a key part of getting the economy going again is how can we bring more people into the workforce? Mm. And work style and autonomous working is an absolutely essential way in order to address those labour market shortages. You know, we talk in the book about excluded groups and there are seven excluded groups who are structurally excluded from work if you don't work in an autonomous way because they physically cannot get to or work at their most productive in an office environment. And that that is older workers, carers, those with chronic illness, physical disability, mental health challenges, um, parents, and people who are neurodiverse. So I think it is a weird mixture that we're seeing this kind of going retrenchment back to the office, but actually that also won't stand organizations in good stead because of the labor market shortages, aside from the fact that for society, we should be including these people in work. You know, there's great societal progress if we can fundamentally include these people who otherwise would be excluded. It's the difference between, I think what we're we're seeing is pandemic-induced lockdown enforcing a requirement for remote working um, is not the same thing as enabling autonomy for the benefit of inclusion and increased productivity and increased well-being uh, and actually through uh through that heightened level of inclusion uh, more cognitively diverse companies who are collectively more intelligent uh, we should also add so what's happened is there's was, there's was a response to the pandemic and and that was not ideal circumstances and an imperfect test environment for remote working. But now what we're seeing is, okay, we've tried that. Things are difficult. We need to default to what we know. And what we know is based on two centuries of working together in buildings between the hours of nine and five. Uh, it's, it's, It's very understandable why that would happen, but also a real travesty because the pandemic has opened eyes to new ways of working there is an opportunity right now for leaders of organizations and for people within those organizations to shape what happens next and demand autonomy now that we have the capability to work the way that we that we're talking about if we don't take action now and we do default back to how things were we're going to be slowing down progress hugely in terms of our organizations but also as a species overall our ability to work together across continents across time zones across you know languages and you know, our ability to to work together hinges entirely on our ability to use that technology in the best way which is about an adopting autonomous working so what we mustn't do is fall back but it is a worrying time because uh, economically there are things that are happening that are driving those decisions uh, rather than necessarily to lizzie's point looking at the opportunity for competitive advantage uh, that that this way of working can bring 
And that's what we're hoping to help clients to see and to understand and and develop over the next few years. Yeah, there's a really interesting tension there because I know in the book there's a there's a great emphasis on sort of individual autonomy, but then you you know you talk about the the the, the role of technology in the future of work, and part of that is weaving together collectives of people and people working in teams. So, how do you see that? combination between you know individuals and then you know the fact that the world needs interdisciplinary you know collaborative working as well I think it's just a mindset shift I think that lots of people think the way that you work collaboratively together is being physically together in an office every day and I think for us, our view on connection is very different from most people. And the most common question that we're asked is, yes, but you can't connect with people unless you're physically together. And we don't refute that in that profound connection happens when you're together. Um, However, we don't think that's the most productive way to work. The most productive way to work is asynchronously. It's collaborating through systems and software with tight parameters set so that everyone's respecting their own boundaries and people do deep work at the time it suits them best in a highly bespoke, individualized way. Uh, One example I would give is that 50% of Brits suffer from loneliness in the workplace. I think that that really epitomizes for me why being in an office doesn't necessarily mean that you're connecting with other people. It just means you're sitting with other people. Possibly ignoring them as well. Quite quite possibly got your headphones in or you're on a Zoom yeah. call with someone who's not in the office. You know, it's really bizarre. Um, and so I think that there are two things. One is connection in real life is important, but it's important for, as Brian Elliott puts it, breaking bread, for building relationships, for building connections. So, for instance, we have Hoxby meetups happening all the time um, around the world. But we also have one big annual event where we meet and we meet to have fun, to get to know each other. We never do any work at that event. Um, And then the second thing is you can build profound relationships connecting digitally. So, for instance, at Hoxby, we have a water cooler channel. It's full of cats and dogs and babies and gifts and whatever. But you duck in there when you want to engage with the water cooler um, rather than someone dropping by your desk and interrupting you when you're in flow. And also we have interest channels. So I'm going through early menopause as a result of my breast cancer treatment. And I'm in an interest menopause group, nothing to do with work, just to do with supporting each other. And it is the most profoundly supportive group um, that I have come across because these people are all around the world but what we have in common is that we're all going through the menopause we all want to be open about it and connecting digitally means we can take the time to consider our responses what we want to share um and how we engage with that group and I think a lot of organizations would find you don't get that level of connection if you just put a load of people going through the menopause in a room for a half hour lunch meeting and and such a simple thing to implement you know in a slack channel and yet so effective as well but does need to be underpinned by the right culture um and we do talk about digital first working asynchronous and a trust-based culture and i think you need the trust-based culture both to facilitate building the connection in things like menopause groups and also to deliver exceptional work in in a highly collaborative globally dispersed i'd love to talk about um you know 
bringing things back to learning and upskilling in this new world of work that you know is growing and whatever economic headwinds are coming like the reality is that the trend is going in a certain direction because we talked about the over 50s but you know also Gen Z also being a, a, a massive demographic coming through as well uh, and their own um, experiences of, of, of the world um, so I guess the question that I've got here is you know how can we sort of upskill in an era when we're working more and more independently how do we sort of nurture talent uh, as we change how we work what what are you sort of seeing and how do you help your collective to develop I think part of the answer to that question is slightly in your interpretation of where you see the responsibility mm-hmm. sitting for that so when you say how do we collectively upskill people well you know I say historically organizations have probably been the ones who've been looked at to provide uh, that personal development for people uh, and certainly functional training enabling to do the work as a bare minimum but then also access to coaching and other things but I think increasingly with an autonomous way of working and an autonomous world of work it becomes more about the individual shaping their own development pathway understanding where they're trying to get to and what they might want to learn in, in order to get there um, we talk about how um in the book, we talk about how you can learn, teach yourself all sorts of things nowadays. The ability even to just via YouTube, I learned how to disconnect and refit my kitchen, for example. Um, there are things like that. If you're willing to take those sorts of risks, um, you can learn a huge amount in a very short space of time. Um, but also you use it because it fulfills some sense of ambition for yourself and something you're working towards as an individual not everything is strictly in the scope of the work you're doing either some people are teaching themselves new skills to create other strings to their their bow and their portfolio career can broaden as a result of uh those increased skills and and that enables us to also tap into the more multifaceted uh nature's of our personalities and as human beings we're good at lots of different things we've just been restricted to only being mm. able to do one thing for 40 hours a week uh in terms of our work and so uh our development has been restricted to only being able to learn more about how to do that one thing until we get promoted to our highest level of incompetence i, I love this quote from your book which is uh, the freedoms of work style allows us to breathe new life into our existence which is pretty pretty deep and epic isn't it yeah. yeah, and but it's it's so very true. Yeah. You know, we've had some really interesting companies on the podcast over the years who are looking at how do you capture your uh, skills that you're developing in other areas of your life and how they feed into your work and out of your work. And it's it's you know that 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 is the joy of living is is that breadth as well. Sophie, it's interesting because when yeah. we curate for teams, and you touched on this earlier, so. For each project, we will bring together a new team. We will curate for a team. But we do that based on not only skills, which is what loads of organizations would do. We do it based on skills, passions, and circumstances. Um, And the passions bit is really interesting because, you know, if you are a massive football fan, to take a topical example, you have a lifetime of knowledge about football. If you've never worked in football before, but you've got transferable skills, 
you'd be an awesome person to work on that project. So we think it's about bringing those things together rather than just saying, well, we need someone who's done this particular thing in this particular industry before. And that creates some really interesting, cognitively diverse teams who can be really collectively intelligent. You know, I've been sort of following your your adventures on your book tour. And if I'm if I understand correctly, your book is now at the top of the Sunday Times bestsellers. Yes. Yeah. It was the number one Sunday Times business bestseller. Which is an incredible, incredible Woo-hoo. achievement. And yeah. What I wanted to try and get out on the podcast whilst we come to the last 10 minutes is, yeah, it looks like you've just had so much fun. And whether there were some funny stories that surfaced through, you know, you, you must have spoken to so many people, anything that sort of sticks in the memory. So firstly, we didn't realise, so we're entrepreneurs, or we, we were till we wrote a book. Now we're entrepreneurs and authors, and I think it takes a while to get your head around that. But we did not realise that signed books was such a thing. And Alex and I work remotely, um, but we've been coming together to do lots of talks as part of our book tour. Um, And so what we found is we have to sign books all over the place. So um, for anyone who follows Alex and I on Instagram, Lizzie the Workstyler and Alex the Workstyler, um, we've been signing books wherever we come together. So um, on the train, um, in the middle of a field one day when we met for a walk and work at Western Bert Arboretum. Um, we've been signing books separately and then doing a handover of boxes of books so the other one could sign it at the back of the car. So that's been an, an interesting element that we hadn't even considered. Um, and we're now selling signed books at worksellrevolution.com because that's apparently something that lots of people want. Um, the other thing is um, we've got a groupie. We've got someone already who's come to hear us speak more than once, which we weren't expecting. We thought this would be like a one-off thing. Um, So if the groupie is listening, then I hope we've (laughs) covered some different content. You've done a security check on them, I'm I'm guessing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I think the main thing, um, on a more serious note, is that the thing that inspires Alex and I is is impact, is creating change. Um, As it says at the very first, page of the book, um, we set up Hoxby on day one, eight years ago, with a vision to create a happier, more fulfilled society through a world of work without bias. And that remains our vision today. And the thing that has really struck us, having written the book and now being out there and talking to more people about this, is the number of people for whom this can be transformational. And I think it's because we share our personal stories in a fair amount of detail in mm. the book. People feel they can talk to us about theirs. And it really is unbelievable what people go through and kind of unbelievable how unempathetic the organisations they work for are. I think it's it's been both enlightening and exciting to hear the change that WorkSell can create, but also a bit bleak to hear how many organisations are still working in a far from autonomous way. Yeah. And Alex, any? Well, I mean, this has given you a very thorough and excellent answer as expected. (laughs) But I would say one of the things that happened that was particularly amusing was we were at uh, Future of Work Europe uh, and we were doing a talk. Uh, Our talk is obviously about work style but we immediately we were on immediately after the guy who's campaigning for the four-day week so we one of the first things we 
we do in our talk is pull apart the four day week and flexible working and whoever put that event together is a genius sorry well, Joe. So sorry it, Joe. it was uh yeah uh controversial but also ideal in many ways because <laughs> you know we were there to be provocative and i think most of the feedback that we get is is that that work style is an original idea and it is it's different to a lot of what's currently being talked about as the the future of work which is actually not the future of work it's stuff we already know about now and so that's been really good in many ways because we're able to challenge thinking and move thinking forward which is what we're trying to do with what we believe is necessary but it's also met with a a, a little bit of real world reality which is this is really hard. Like I've read your book, but I can't just switch into work style tomorrow because there are low, the conditions are not there and uh, my, my employer would never go for it and so on. So there are lots of challenges. And when, when at the end of the book, actually, we, we make it clear that this is just the start. Although we've been doing it for eight years, for most people, this is, this is day one of a journey towards work style and for them and for the, the companies they work in. And so when we talk about how you get there, we talk about it in terms of steps, incremental cycles that you, you have to go to, you have to break barriers to, 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 to get there, you have to change your mindset. Um, and that's where, you know, we hope that this the chapter summaries in the book are helpful for helping people to kind of begin their journey uh, and start having the conversations in the places that they work to help create this this broader change uh, and realize a longer term vision for the future of work and we consult in that area so anyway what Ho- one of the areas hoxby consults in is about um moving on a, the journey towards autonomous working and what we found interestingly is it only takes one individual who is inspired by work style in an organization to be able to bring Hoxby in to hopefully create change for many people in that organization, which I think that element has been really inspiring. And I, I think it's so healthy to uh, move away from these uh, camps where you're either for you know four day working week or you know hybrid or in the office or or you know there's a, a great campaign at the moment for like fully remote work and it's like so healthy to just actually say well it's going to be different things for different people um yeah so I we, we were on a podcast the other day and someone was trying to play devil's advocate and basically the answer to every question is but we're all different it's all about individualizing. It's recognizing we are all different. We have different circumstances and and we can now individualize work. And there's an obligation on us, the people who can make change at this point in time to capitalize on that at this inflection point and create that for our children and their children. So three minutes left. I'm going to, I'm going to, Pessy, for, for for one more thing. So um, we always ask our podcast guests, any best resources, tools, or people that sort of inspired the way that you work that you'd love to share with our listeners? So it can be something wildly inspirational or very practical, but something you'd like to leave them with to think about. <laughs> read the book would be the <laughs> If you haven't really? bought and read WorkSell, read, yeah. read WorkSell. And I would say... There are more than 600 references in that book. It is fun, as hopefully Sophie will testify. People keep telling us and it's 
it's an accessible book. But one of the things I love about it as well is the end of the chapter prompts for things to do. Reflect, act and inspire. We talk talk about that at the end of every chapter. So I think the book has a, a huge wealth of resources within it. And also um, at workstylerevolution.com, there are more resources as well. Um, I think the other thing is we always say to people, try using the word work style. Like this week, just use it in a conversation or to the cat and see what happens. <laughs> Probably not much if you, if you say it to the cat, but just get in the habit of using it and, and see what happens. So I think that for us is really mm. important. And one of the most important frameworks that we touch on in the book is about um, set, project and respect. So take time to reflect and and kind of set your own work style. Think how would you work if you could fit your work around your life rather than the other way around? Um, and then project that. So talk to someone about it. And in talking, you're more likely to deliver it because you create a kind of psychological contract with the other person to hold yourself to account. And then respect. And we're sad to say that people are brilliant at respecting each other's work styles, but not always great at respecting their own. So often respecting your work style is buddying up with someone else and helping each other to hold each other to account. Um so that's an important framework. We also are doing a giveaway on uh, Instagram at the moment mm. uh, of work style plus nine other books that we have shortlisted as recommended reading uh, to accompany work style for someone who's got a lot of time on their hands um, to get through all 10. <laughs> Christmas. Um, so that's that's worth a look. I won't go through all of those now, but um, one of them that, that is has been hugely inspirational to us is Rebel Ideas by Matthew Syed, uh, where he looks at the uh, the issue of cognitive diversity or the opportunity, should I say, of cognitive diversity uh, to increase uh, the collective intelligence of uh, our groups, our teams, our companies, which is huge. Awesome. Well, thank you both. We packed an absolute load into that chat. So really, really appreciate it and uh, hugely inspirational to hear your own stories, both in the book and today. So thank you also for being so generous and sharing what's gone on in your own lives as well. And uh, yeah, I hope uh, you do many more book signings at the back of your car and many more. <laughs> Living the dream. Thank you very much, Sophie. Really appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Bye-bye. All right. Chat soon. That's all for this week's episode. A huge shout out to Lizzie and Alex and all the show notes from this episode are on the podcast website. We'll be back with more episodes in this series coming soon and as if that wasn't enough, we've got a whole new series coming down the line looking at evidence-based edtech. So stay tuned, have a good week and goodbye.